I'm Dooner. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Monday. We got a good one today. We got this is like jam packed from top to bottom. So we're going to get into it quick. What's on the show today? Man, it's already sitting in the green room. Speaking of green, we're going to hear from Hylion's Thomas Healy talking about their road to zero emissions trucking, how they did in the previous quarter. And we got a Q&A from a lot of you folks over on Twitter. I know you've been following Hylion's journey and we're happy to answer some of your questions. We're going to continue that discussion about zero emissions and um, it's net zero carbon sustainability with Freightwave's Tyler Cole after uh, Thomas. He's going to come on here. We're going to talk about how shippers are seeing this market. Do we have shippers revenge? I'm bringing a shipper on. It's Tony Darnell from Lippert Components and Blue Cargo. They just raised a seed round. They're trying to bring tech to drayage. I think they're calling it like port logistics as a service or something like that. So we'll find out about their founder story, how these two lovely ladies raised the money that they did, and we'll get deep into it. But uh, first, let's tip the band. Then we'll bring Thomas right up. So here we go. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on that responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they're at the center of it all. Visit them at dunavant.com. All right. Last time I saw this gentleman, he was delivering a Christmas tree down to New York City. <laughs> it's my pleasure to bring up Thomas Healy. He is the CEO over at Hylion. Thomas, how are you doing today? I love the room, too. I feel like it gets a little bit better each time I bring you on. <laughs> doing well, thank you. No, great to be on again. And uh, we've come a long way even since delivering the tree. Just a, a few months, we got a lot of exciting news that's come out. I did. You know, I was I was listening to your earnings call and I read the write up of it afterwards. And one thing that stuck out to me almost immediately was, I believe you had been hitting your financial progressions for the past number of quarters. Right. Maybe. Is it five now? It is. So uh, back in late 2021, so five quarters ago, uh, we had come out with kind of what is our roadmap? How are we going to commercialize the Hypertruck ERX? What are the things we need to hit along that journey? It included everything from summer testing, winter testing, uh, starting fleet trials. Uh, and coming up here, we're expanding fleet trials. We're going to go through CARB and EPA and NHTSA certification. And then we're off into start of production. So the, the great news, though, is for five quarters straight, we've hit every single milestone along that roadmap that we've told the world we were going to. And we've done it on time, which is also a great accomplishment. And then as we look back at 2022, I mean, an exciting year, everything from the Carnot generator acquisition to uh, staying on track from a financial standpoint as well and uh, getting the Hypertruck ERX out there in addition to delivering the Christmas tree. So a lot of fun <laughs> things happening. That was, a nice, that was a nice exclamation point on the, the end of the year, that Christmas tree. Speaking of Christmas, winter time, you mentioned winter testing. How did that all go and what went into the winter testing? Yeah, so we, we started it a few months ago, and it's still ongoing as as we speak. Uh, actually, I just saw some videos of the team. I think they're up in Badette right now and, uh, and running the trucks. I saw a, uh, I got a video this weekend of a truck coming in, a little bit of a slide to it as it was coming to a, a breaking, uh, you know, coming to a stop. So, no, it's uh, they're, they're doing great up there, uh, running it through its paces. And, you know, the way we're approaching testing is we're trying to break the vehicles, right? We're trying to figure out things that are going to fail. And uh, we've we've done that, but thankfully nothing has been catastrophic. Nothing's made us look at our timeline and say 
we need to rethink this. We need to readjust uh, where we're at. I mean, there's been uh, some good learnings, some small learnings, but overall the truck's performing well. And the other thing to note with it is, you know, this this gives us the opportunity to not only kind of test the components that we're engineering and designing and and bringing onto the the vehicle. It also allows us to test the components that our suppliers are putting on the vehicle, and uh, we've also had learnings on their components that then we can pass through to them so that they can continue to to iterate and change how they're designing their systems. Well, impressive stuff. You came through um, past year was a challenging time, especially uh, in the space, in the market, and all that kind of thing. Congratulations on hitting those projections. Congratulations on the winter testing. Anything in the winter testing that surprised you, you that you was just completely unforeseen? Uh, you know, it, I guess one unforeseen, which uh, I think we had a, uh, a gasket uh, that when it was in negative, I think 20 or negative 40 degrees uh, Celsius, it was, uh, it got too stiff and, uh, and that caused a little bit of a leak. But, uh, you know, it just reminded me of, uh, I think NASA had some issues with that, uh, unfortunately, many years ago. But uh, so, you know, not, that was one that, you know, we didn't expect to see, uh, but, you know, we were able to correct it, solve it. Uh, obviously, it uh, it just reminded me of uh, something that happened many years ago. But, you know, things like water ingress into some components that then we need to just go look at how do we how do we solve that? Uh, that's not a huge issue. Some wiring harness things, um, you know, just, uh, you know, interaction with the components, how they all work together. And then the other big thing that we're testing and validating is our control strategy, right? We've given a lot of thought as to if you're in really, really cold conditions, how do you need to prep the batteries? How do you need to warm them up appropriately? How much torque can you give the driver if the the batteries are cold and you're running the generator to, to provide electricity? Like how much power can we give uh, to the vehicle to uh, to drive it down the road so that we you know both maintain a strong driver performance, but we don't overwork the batteries? That's all the types of testing we're going through. But the other really big benefit that we saw was, you know, we saw a lot of vehicles out there being tested, some of which honestly weren't even getting started, right? You know, they were going through the cold chamber testing. The team was teams were trying to turn the vehicles on and and they weren't even working, right? So the fact that, you know, we we kept the vehicles up and running and uh and driving, that was a big win. So wait, the cold chamber, is this like a specialized room that you put the truck in and you just try and see how much you can freeze it? How cold does that room get? We were, I think our coldest testing was down at negative 40, uh, which is like, that's freezing, right? Uh, and then the the goal is, is you, you, uh, you kind of like, cold soak it is what they call it, where uh, you bring the truck for, I don't know, maybe like a half a day down to negative to 40. And then the goal is, is you right from that point, then you turn the truck on and you start driving it. And uh, it really gives you the experience of if the truck had been sitting out in the yard overnight in really cold climates, and then now all of a sudden you got to turn it on and start driving, that's what we're able to replicate. And then, uh, you know, they're driving it on icy roads, uh, snowy roads. Uh, we're doing um, corrosion testing as well. So a lot of stuff going on. But the whole goal of this is just making sure that when this product comes to market, it's reliable. And, you know, we know the the, um, the the hurdle we need to overcome is making sure that when fleets get these vehicles in their operations, that these things are bulletproof, that they they work. And you know, no doubt there will be continual learnings throughout the journey here. But uh, we got to make sure that uptime is the strongest focus in addition to safety. You know, speaking of doing all that testing and, and getting these out on the road, everyone's excited to see them. And I saw that you have put some deals together. You have one with DSV. Can you tell us what does that entail for for Hylion and for DSV? What's going on with you two? 
Yeah, so DSV, for anyone who uh, who isn't aware of them, they are one of the largest 3PL logistics companies in the world. Uh, the most recent report I saw, I think they're now in third uh, for the largest 3PL. So uh, huge organization. They have a, a big presence overseas, but then they also are starting to grow their presence here in the U.S., specifically with a, uh, a large facility that they're building right now up in Dallas. And so these trucks are actually going to be deployed out of the Dallas area. Now, that worked great for us because that's also where uh, our launch facility is going to be, where we're going to be doing all the service and support of the initial trucks that we put out there. So DSV came forward with uh, a commitment for the initial 10 trucks, and then they have a subsequent 10 trucks uh, that they can order um, after they go through some validation testing. And, uh, and then a little bit more background about DSV. So uh, DSV and Agility, who is a longtime partner of Hylion's, uh, DSV had acquired the logistics arm of, uh, of Agility. So it's kind of all of us culminating together here with this uh, initial deployment as well. Wow. Well, and that's not the only sort of partnership you struck. You have one with Hyzon now. I know that they're pretty deep in the hydrogen space. What are you going to be doing with Hyzon? Sure. So you know, hydrogen's been the fuel that everyone's been saying. It's the euphoria. It's where the industry's heading. Uh, we believe that that is true. We just think it's going to take a long time to get there. Uh, so we've always had fuel cell vehicles on our roadmap, uh, but we haven't really shown traction to the market and uh, along the fuel cell path. And that's honestly been one of the things people have kind of questioned our business model is, are we truly serious about hydrogen or are we going to miss the hydrogen boat, right? If if hydrogen comes and you know people start delivering fuel cell vehicles, you know we've gotten some criticisms out there that you know we're going to be too late to the party and people are going to adopt other solutions first. So this was really our way of teaming up with Hyzon. We think they have a great fuel cell solution. It's designed specifically for Class Eight semi trucks, which is a big win, and not many other people have. And we're going to do the initial vehicle integration using a Hylion powertrain and then a Hyzon fuel cell. And the goal with this is to really demonstrate that we can collaborate together. They have a strong fuel cell. We have a powertrain that works with fuel cells. And then we'll see, you know, where we head from there in terms of uh, do we take that solution into, into commercialization? Do we modify it some? We'll, we'll explore that once we get this initial vehicle out there and we get it into fleet's hands so that they can give us some feedback as to, to how it's performing. But I think this is our way of saying, look, we're not going to miss the hydrogen boat. Uh, no one knows when hydrogen is coming and what time frame it's going to be. Our belief is local deliveries kind of uh, centralized around where the few existing hydrogen stations are in the U.S. is where things are going to start. And then over the you know, many years and decades ahead, we'll see where, uh, where hydrogen takes place. You know, there is a strong Hylion community on Twitter, and every time you come on, we like to throw some questions out to them because we know they get really excited about stuff, and who, who better to ask than the people following the company themselves? Are you ready for some questions? I got some great ones today, and a lot of them are, have to do with excitement, not just of your recent earnings announcement, but some of the other technologies like Carno and things that you've already done. Sure, absolutely. Let's dive into them. All right. Silent Alert comes in first. He says, any plans to partner with charging stations to utilize Carno technology? If so, would the current team require expansion? So to the first part of the question, absolutely. So we actually see charging as a very, very large and one of the probably likely first uh, markets that we'll go after with the Carno first stationary application. So for anyone who's newer to our story, a little step back, you know, this whole discussion so far has been on electric range extender powertrains and 
the ERX, which uses natural gas, then the fuel cell one. Well, we also have this fuel agnostic technology that's called the Carnot generator. And when we acquired it, the initial focus was we wanted to put it into the vehicle. As we you know, really dove into this, uh, we found that stationary applications make a lot of sense as well. And even the certification to put this generator in, in a stationary application is, uh, is much quicker than vehicles. So stationary is something we're looking at. And to put this into context, you'd basically take these generators, you know, not too much larger, larger than the table that I'm sitting at here, and uh, you deploy them uh, you know, next to the chargers, and they would sit there and produce electricity 24-7. Now, this is one of the big nuances and differences of this generator that we acquired compared to like a normal, uh, let's call it a Generac or a, a Cummins or Caterpillar generator that you normally see outside facilities. Our generator loves to sit there and run 24-7. Uh, it's from a, a maintenance standpoint, it's just designed to be extremely low maintenance. And so you want to utilize this generator as opposed to just using it for backup power. So our belief is the grid is over or, you know, it's, it's uh, overtapped, I guess I should say, uh, that, you know, especially when you put on these EV chargers, uh, the grid isn't able to supply the power that these uh, these chargers need. So our plan is we'll put the Carnos out there to actually produce power locally to charge up uh, these vehicles. And then, uh, you know, we see other opportunities like putting them outside of warehouses, outside of hotels and being the primary power source to these facilities. And then you actually get to use the uh, the grid as your backup power. Well, that's that's really interesting. So wait, if I understood what you said quick, uh, this wouldn't just be used for trucks. This could generate power for, for buildings and, and, and other types of equipment. So the expansion of the Carnot generator isn't just limited to transportation. That's correct. And, you know, the, the way that we, uh, the way that you kind of are able to play in the, the grid space is one, can you produce electricity at a low enough cost? Can you do it at a high enough efficiency? And then do you have the reliability needed to, to run 24 seven? And uh, the Carnot hits all those buckets. So, you know, from a cost standpoint, we actually see that, you know, we'll be able to produce electricity uh, locally for a facility cheaper than what the average grid electricity is in the U.S. And that's when you're consider using uh, natural gas as the fuel to run the Carnot. And then from an efficiency standpoint, we're in the same ballpark. We're rivaling the efficiencies of uh, some of the best power plants out there. And I'll notate that was saying some of the newest power plants that are out there. If you actually look at older power plants, in many instances, will actually be more efficient. And then the other thing that uh, is a big benefit is if you have your generator sitting out back constantly making power, you don't have line losses, right? Normally, if you think about a, a power plant, you have you know, one big location that then distributes power out to a bunch of different buildings and, and uh, houses and everything versus this model would be more at all of those different locations, you could have Carnot generators and they would more feed electricity back in and specifically to the location that it's uh, it's sitting out back of, which then means you eliminate line losses, transmission losses, and that adds to the efficiency of the Carnot. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Switch Hitter has a question. He was curious about this new deal. He said, how does the new um, FCEV, fuel cell EV, open the door to class five to seven space? Those of you who don't know, that's like uh, your garbage truck, your beverage truck, um, just the truck's a little bit under the size of the semi truck. Any, any interest there or is it all on semi? So right now, all on semi. Uh, what we're kind of, our belief on it is 
going after the semi market is the toughest uh, one to to crack here. So our belief is if we can do that successfully, then we'll be able to scale the powertrain down to other sizes of vehicles. Now that could go for the Hypertruck ERX, the one that uses that gas, the Carnot one uh, that can use various fuels, or the fuel cell vehicle. All of those we're starting on the semi, and then we'll look to to scale it to other applications as we go forward. Makes sense. Well, Eric Bighead says, will you have only 500000 in revenue in EX hybrid projection for each quarter? It should increase, not stagnate. He's curious about the growth, I guess, of the, uh, the EX hybrid. Yeah, so... Uh- a little bit of background there. Uh, we recorded a couple of million in revenue last year from hybrid revenue. Uh, as our CFO stated on the call, you know we're looking at about half a million in revenue per quarter again as we we go into this year. So that, as uh, as the gentleman mentioned, that is a flat line of uh, of kind of revenue expectations. The reason for this is is as we shared over the last year, we've seen some market shifts that have kind of caused fleets to say. You know, I really want to move towards full electrified solutions like the Hypertruck ERX, like fuel cell vehicles, or like BEV plug-in vehicles. And that's kind of caused people to look at the, the hybrid system as, you know, it's a nice way to get into electrification, but it's not the end-all be-all. And so, you know, with the projections that we put out on this earnings call, it's kind of us saying, look, we're going to carry forward. We're still going to ship them this year, but we're putting a lot of our attention and focus on the launch of the Hypertruck ERX. And we see that being the core product going forward. And then that's the one that has this ability to, you know, we swap out to different generator solutions and it gives us the ability to run on various fuels. Very cool. Well, Bob's home pros, he wants to know about OEM partnerships. He says, if or when Peterbilt agrees to integrate the ERX, who do you see next? Has any other OEM expressed their interest of adding Hylion system to their production line in the future? Yeah, so uh, spot on that we're going to market with the Peterbilt chassis, the 579, as the truck, and uh, and then we're integrating our powertrain into it. In terms of where we head after launching with Peterbilt, so we have relationships with all the OEMs. Uh, as many of you are probably aware, we've actually installed our hybrid system on all the major OEMs here in the U.S. So, uh, so we know how their vehicles operate. We have relationships with them, and, and we've you know, worked with them from the standpoint of utilizing their chassis for, uh, for the hybrid. So as we go into you know, start a production with Peterbilt, and then we look to expand to other OEMs, so the, other, the first natural choice would be let's look at keeping within the PACCAR umbrella and working with Kenworth as well. Uh, the Peterbilt truck and the Kenworth truck, while they they have their differences, they also have a lot of similarities, and that makes uh, integrating into that chassis a little bit easier. And then after that, you know, what we'll really look to do is see what demand we're getting from fleets and what OEMs they want us to work with. Uh, obviously, the other big ones are you've got Freightliner, Volvo, uh, International, Navistar as well out there, and uh, and we'll really look at the customer demand and let that drive uh, who will be the next OEM afterwards. Stadsman, he says, when will Agility take possession of their first ERX? Another person excited to see uh, more Hylions on the road. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so as I mentioned before, this uh, DSV deployment, uh, Agility is involved in that. So I think you could say that that's kind of their uh, initial um, delivery of a vehicle in the U.S. here. And, uh, you know, DSV, as I mentioned earlier, had merged with uh, with Agility from a logistics standpoint. And then not only do these guys have, you know, the operations here in the U.S., 
but then their international relationship uh, or international vehicles, the deployment of vehicles they have internationally is even larger. So as we then look to, to move overseas at some point here and actually expand the product base to, to other uh, locations, other areas where they also need electrification, uh, we see DSV and then Agility also being great, great partners in that. And uh, last question here. Ed wants to know if you're going after that Department of Defense chatter. He said, are you planning on working with the military to go green? Uh, yeah, so we, we are. Uh, you know, we've seen that there is a big focus from the military uh, for uh, reducing emissions. Right. And I think that goes for the government as a whole, not just the military there's a massive push towards reducing emissions. The unique things with the military is they operate a lot of vehicles. So we're looking at, uh, at that and seeing if there are ways to collaborate. But the other one that gives us a lot of excitement is the Carnot generator. So if you think about being able to give someone uh, a stationary generator, or, you know, I, I say stationary as, you know, I'm thinking about you deploy it to, to charge like, you know, a building or a warehouse, something like that, or provide the power for it. Um, if you could give the military a, a gen set that they could move around and then plunk it down and run it on whatever fuel source they wanted to, right? So, uh, or various fuels. So whether that be nat gas, hydrogen, diesel, gasoline, jet fuel, ammonia. I mean, this Carno generator really operates on a wide variety of fuels. I think uh, we've already identified over 20 fuels that, uh, that it's going to be able to run on. So, if you can give the military a, a solution like that, where uh, basically they find whatever fuel is local or that they have available and they run on it, that should be a, a huge added benefit. And so not only stationary applications, powering vehicles, powering uh, vessels, we see a lot of opportunities. Wow. Hey, Thomas, thank you for being so gracious and answering our questions today. Congratulations on uh, the success for hitting your projections five quarters in a row. And hopefully we catch up with you next quarter and we hear even more that you're uh, that much further down the road. Sounds great. And then, Duner, we're going to have to get you uh, behind the wheel of the Carno truck. Uh, yes. So for anyone that was tuning into earnings, we, uh, we announced a couple of things. So one is... Uh, we're going to be unveiling the Carno generator for the first time. The public's going to be able to see it at the ACT Expo here in a couple of months. And then uh, just shortly thereafter, on June 27th, we're going to be hosting an investor conference or meeting uh, here at our headquarters, uh, asking people to come in that want to learn more about what we're doing, come see the technology firsthand, and uh, you know, get to be along this journey with us. Uh, you know, it's definitely going to be an exciting road ahead. So hopefully some people can attend that as well. Hey, what kind of fuel are you going to be putting in that Carno generator at uh, ACT? Uh, so, so we definitely see natural gas as being the first fuel, and then hydrogen shortly thereafter. So, uh, this initial vehicle that will be uh, will be demoing will actually be running on both. So, more to come on that. Well, very cool. I will stay tuned, and and your team let me know uh, what's up, and I'll I'll get involved. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Sounds <laughs> Thanks good. Thanks, Junior. Good stuff. Hey. Always great stuff coming out of Hylion over there. Um, winter testing. I wonder if they brought one over to Tahoe over the weekend. Take a look at what's happening here. I'm backwards. Now watch the Jeep. Just keep your eye on the Jeep the whole time. Apparently, Lake it's Tahoe. People skiing. Always oh, ran into that bank. Tahoe's had about 100 more inches than their average of snow oh this my season. God. Oh, oh. oh, my God. What is he doing, dude? Oh, no. Oh, he's gonna oh hit that Tesla. Oh my God. Why doesn't he just stop? He can't. <laughs> ice. Here he goes. He's gonna hit it. Here he comes. Oh, dude. Tesla. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're all oh, running. No. Get out of the way. 
Oh, it's going to bring it down. Oh, my God. Oh, no. You guys got to come out. Going oh. Too. oh, here comes he the Tesla down the hill. Down hill. Oh, <laughs> we should probably pull. Oh, my. I stopped the video oh my God, for you. The oh, they're this. piling up. We got video. Oh, I hear oh. him. Oh, no. Get out of the way, dude. He's, he's just not secure. Oh, yeah. yeah. This yeah. Jeep just went around people Look. to try to go down the hill. Oh. Coming Look. still. The Jeep's coming. The Jeep's still coming. Why is he still spinning? Oh, oh, into the door. Dude, this is what oh, ended shit. up on Daily Mail like Why last weekend. Look, he's going backwards now. He's stuck. Is oh, he locked? Look. Yeah, dude, he's locked up. Listen. <laughs> Imagine being the cars just looking backwards, looking at this just thing sliding it there. down towards Why does he keep doing that? Oh, to stop. Oh, I don't think he can stop, right? Either, I mean, bro. if she could stop, I'm sure he would stop. You would think. I don't know. I'm <laughs> glad that's not me. One of the reasons I moved out of Boston was to get away from that snow. All right, let's bring up Tyler Cole, host of Net Zero Carbon over at Freightways. Tyler, what's up, man? Dooner, how are you, man? I was hoping we'd start off talking uh, our Twitter battle about Brink. Oh, yeah. And rollerblading, man. People out there don't know this, but, you know, the youth, they don't understand this. But it, by 1999, there were 22 million ro rollerbladers on the street. You couldn't walk outside your house without getting passed by a rollerblader. Absolutely. And it was totally across generations. You had older ladies thinking it was the workout of the day and you had the younger kids trying to be starting on the X Games. We it's need, like uh, as you mentioned, Rachel needs to write the, the modes article about that. For I sure. was going to say, it's a lot like pickleball. So pickleball like came up and people started taking over the tennis courts and everyone hated the pickleballers. Well, like rollerblading came out, it got hot really fast and big skateboarding got really threatened. So you had like, like the dark sidious of skateboarding who's Tony Hawk. And he was like, no, we can't. No, I'm just, I don't know, Tony, if you did that or not. But I did see a documentary that said big skateboarding had it out. They started calling them like fruit boots and stuff like that. They just try to make it look bad and make it something that guys wouldn't want to do. So. I don't know. So funny. Well, sorry to derail the conversation early, but that made my weekend. So no, this show is all about derailing conversations. In fact, before you came on, we were probably singing music to your ears. I was talking to Thomas Healy from Hylion. They're on that road to net zero. One of the leaders in that industry. Did you hear what he said about that Carno generator? Did that have you excited at all? I was over here just doing this, waiting to see the, the release data and hopefully they get it on video or at least a write up over at ACT Expo. Because that, that is, I mean, stationary power that's distributed and available is, is one of the key unlocks for a net zero economy. Well, didn't you hear? I'm going to be going down there to, to drive it at some point. So maybe I, I saw your eyes get real big. Maybe I can maybe I can bring you along with me. It's always fun. I like that more than <laughs> conferences. I love going to like company stuff, especially if there's like a truck or something you can actually go in then I uh, think this is a good time if you have a job like me. You have a job kind of like me. You do a podcast, Net Zero Carbon. What is that for people who don't know? Yeah, it's our show Fridays, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern on Freight Waves, where we talk all things sustainable supply chain. We go into the rabbit holes and deep dive into decarbonization, whether that's digitizing and emissions calculations and measurements, or whether that's what they're doing over at Hylion, where you're actually taking you know, new propulsion, new tech, new low carbon fuels, and figuring out who are not only the startups and the movers and shakers in that space, but how are larger corporates thinking about it? How does policy intertwine? It's really just a, a view into the messy mind of Tyler to see what's, what's happening today that we should pay attention to on the road to net zero. What should we pay attention to? Because like even listening to Thomas, it can get a little bit confusing, especially if you're not familiar with the net zero journey, especially if you're learning about trucking, because you hear him talking. He's like, we have a hybrid that uses natural gas and batteries. We have a fuel cell that we're developing. We have this Carnot generator. Then you hear about biofuels and alternative fuels and the Tesla semi and full battery. What's hot right now? What seems viable to you? Man, there are so many things that are hot. The one thing that's most exciting to me is how much investment is in this space and how much that 
investment is chasing policy dollars. And I think the combination of those two things are going to just explode. I think in five years, you're going to see new solutions on the market that we didn't think were possible. Hylion, it may be an example of something like that. Um, because right now we're trying to get beyond the hype cycle for some of those technologies, right? You look at the traditional Gartner hype cycle and like you go through the uh, over expectations, uh, everything's overstated. And then you go through this really deep trough of disillusionment before you start climbing back up. I feel like we're kind of peaking over that expectations right now. And as we get, you know, beyond maybe even this term of presidency and get into like 2024, 2025, when a lot of these near term net zero commitments are coming due, I think we're going to have a lot of head scratching being like, where are these solutions we've been waiting for? And, and by that point, my hope is that what's happening now in terms of inflows and R&D has commercial solutions that is scaling and we can actually start making a dent in total global emissions. So what's hot is investment in the space, attention in the space, startups trying to disrupt the space. And that goes from electrification to charging to low carbon fuels, uh, not only just here domestically, but globally. You know what's not, Hut? Some of the regulations that has people concerned. For example, Matt Trapp, he's the CEO over at the Harbor Trucking Association. And in California, the Dre community is the one getting hit first by these initiatives. They were hit just at the beginning of this year with, uh, what was it, trucks before 2011. They can't be driving. Um, fuel Federal engine standards are kicking in 2027 that they don't require anyone to buy, um, to, to, to use the engines. It requires that new vehicles have them. They've also mandated, let's see, January 1st, all of this start, it says California, meanwhile, has their own engine center kicking in next year, along with the first in the world zero emissions mandate for end users, for forcing the perks of those vehicles if they are put in service after January 1st. All of this starts on 2024. I follow this space. There's not a lot of trucks yet to service that. You're absolutely right. It's an ambitious target. And I think a lot of fleets especially are hoping that... Um, <laughs> that there's a little wiggle room to the start date there. But I can tell you, um, they're trying their very best from a policy level to be intentional, to be walking that line between we want a hard start, we've got to get moving, but we also want to care for the under-resourced in the communities, right? So there's specific carve-outs for a lot of those programs for smaller fleets specifically. Um, that doesn't make it easy, and it doesn't mean that we're going to have enough uh, supply on the road when they start making you file your tax receipts in the state. But it should be, um, I, think, I think it's important for fleets to understand that policy is something they're going to have to adapt to. And it, it's something that they should be working with each other and their customers to explain. So if you're in some of these markets and you're not already looking and talking to your customers about what's coming and talking to your OEMs and figuring out what that's going to cost to abide and comply with those regulations, you're way behind the curve. That is kind of that next domino and you're starting to say, like, everyone's scared of the regulations, right? That eventually gets pushed down to the customer level. Like, none of those costs are going to be borne by the providers at the end of the day. Customers need to know and expect, if you want the green emissions, if you want low-carbon fuels, there's things that we can do to get there, but it's not going to be business as usual or cost the same. Very cool. Well, so what do you, so in your opinion, then, that was mine, the regulations were tough. What do you think is not hot in this space? What do you wish would either go away or it's just not, it's just not good? It's not helping. What's not hot greenwashing? Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think greenwashing is probably the worst thing in the space. And really, that's just a lack of, of education, right? There, I tell my kids all the time, there's no excuse for you not to have to be armed with all the information you can about any topic today with the free and open Internet. But greenwashing is one of those where it's easy to get caught up in the wave, the marketing wave and to feel like you're attacking um not attacking. It feels like you're coming to your green consumer base and trying to give them what they want. And really, all you're doing is a cheap lip service 
offering. So whether that's carbon neutral or whether that's um, you know, carbon negative, whatever the term you're trying to use or claim or label, your marketing group and your legal group should probably be involved to make sure that there's not guidelines dictating what you can and cannot say about products. And if you're uh, you know, in, in fleets, there's not a lot of ways to decarbonize. We have to use a lot of fuel to burn and get the energy to move goods. That's just the way it is. Um, buying a cheap offset and saying you're carbon neutral. Yes, you are. But you need to be able to explain what that means to consumers instead of just one little soundbite so they can make a decision for themselves. Because in many cases, you're buying cheap, unreliable offsets, and that's not the best thing for the planet. It's not stopping emissions. So greenwashing is one that I wish would go away. I I hear you. I hear you. Well, I wish you didn't have to go away, but we are out of time. So if people want to follow your show, hear more from you, where do I send them to, Tyler? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Tyler A. Cole, uh, FreightWaves, Net Zero Carbon. That's FreightWaves.com slash NZC. Uh, And we'll post everything there. And uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn too. Take care, brother. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Be good. All right. Send us the hard stuff. That's what Dunavent Logistics says. When you run into that really challenging logistics nightmare that keeps you up at night, call the good folks over at Dunavent. They make headaches disappear. Visit them at Dunavent.com. All right. Before our next guest, time to rate strap work. Let's take a look at what we got going on today. All right. Well, that is dark. That is, looks like a dead person. Thank you, Stephen Tittle, for ruining our Mondays. I appreciate you sending this to me. Dan Burgold says, where are my damn socks? It's cold. You know what, too? Like, I, when I'm looking at that, my feet literally are starting to feel cold. As long as I look at that guy's toes, it looks cold out there. Andrew Teal says, AAA is cheaper than an ambulance. Probably he's got a point there. Stephen Tittle said, who ordered the open deck on this move? I say it's a 10. I mean, I see 10 toes. Dan Reese says, till death do they part? Morgan Cahorn says, one, in, one of ten. I hate when my feet are sticking out of the covers of that body bag. I know, that just gets to you. Uh, Bill, Hill, Bill Hill wins. He says, the origin of Deadhead. Going to give him a cowbell for that one, Bill. That was, that was top shelf. James R. said, this is basically the U.S. healthcare system in a single photo. Does that flatbed driver even know he can charge around $1,500 for that trip? If he has a guy in scrubs and an IV full of water sitting next to the gurney, he can knock that up to $2,500. Got to look out for those accessorials. Brandon Paz says, I'm now convinced people are intentionally strapping like this to be featured on your Rate the Strap Work series. I hope, I hope people aren't getting killed over this. Um, they probably are with some of that strap work, though. Anyways, it's Tony Darnell, shipping manager over at Lippert Components. What is up, Tony? Hey, Dooner. How you doing, man? When people find out you're a shipper and you're at a conference, they chase you around like you're a naked streaker on a, uh, on a baseball diamond? Uh, fortunately, my looks deter that, so we're good there. <laughs> you're, you are, you're in a challenging space, right? We heard so many stories about, because that's what Lippert does, right? Like auto part components and stuff like that? Auto, RV, marine, rail, did you, did you uh, guys, aftermarket accessories, everything. How, how are those doing right now? Because there are so many stories about like shortages of parts and nobody could get parts. And I know a lot of that was in the semi-truck space, but like, what do you see in your seat? Uh, actually, I think it, from what we can see, most of our stuff has been caught up. So it's it's a lot better than it was. Uh, the market's a little down right now, but it, I mean, it should be coming back in a couple of weeks here. You used uh, to I own. like to watch. I put a post out there. I love to watch the Class 8 truck sales, and they're still going up. So They are, but the, the problem is there's a lot of capacity right now. I mean, tender rejects are like, it's good for you, the shipper, tender re- but it's bad for the carriers or the owner-operators. Tender rejects are at like 3.5%. Nobody wants to touch that uh, bottom-of-the-barrel spot market rate It's stuff. been bad for us for three years. I know. I mean, it's frayed. It's always bad. Don't get in this job if you want a good time. This is just, it's just all bad. <laughs> That's right. you, 
You used to own, I, I was looking into your background, and you used to own a horse transport company. It got me curious. What would surprise us about transporting a horse? Um, well, they don't like to drink water en route. So oh. one of the ways that you could verify that everything went okay is when you get them off the, off the trailer and they end up drinking water. Really? That's what we used to stay and make sure. They get just pissed off if, if another horse has to pee while they're like in motion, like no, no stops. Think about this. You live your life in a nice sunny pasture and you put them in a dark box and shake them up for 20 hours and yeah, they, they, they don't get real happy about that. <laughs> no, I guess I got one of them. It, ha- it happens with dogs. So like I, we got a eight week old puppy about 12 years ago. My dog still have her. But she had like a huge fear of driving in a car ever since because she came from like down south all the way up to Boston or actually all the way up to New Hampshire. And uh, it, it didn't it didn't get them rattled. But Tony, let's learn about you a little bit. So you deal with horses. Dude, do you still ride horses? How did you, how did you get into horses anyway? Uh, my parents had them. I grew up with them. Ever since I was two, we've had horses. Uh, I don't anymore. I live in the city. Interesting. Yeah, it's hard to keep a horse in the city unless you do like the carriages <laughs> up, and, up and down the road. <laughs> what unless goes you're down? in Ocala, Florida. Everybody's got one. What, uh, so what goes down over at, at Lippert? What, what, what's, been on, like, what's on your desk today? What have you been up to? So we're putting together a driver meeting. We're going to get a DOT officer in and have a little Q&A session with them and have them tell us what they're focusing on, help our drivers be a little bit more proactive and, uh, you know, just get the, the pulse, put the connection together between enforcement and uh, those guys operating the truck so they can hear in a safe space what what it is that they need to watch for and how they need to keep their uh, I's dotted and T's crossed. Wow. So you mentioned you have your own drivers. How many trucks are you managing? Uh, me, personally, only five. I only have five little trucks, three that are on the road and two that are local, and it's great. But we have, I, I don't know, somewhere around 300 total Yeah. in the company. Are, are they all your own? Because you probably have people asking you for freight all the time, and they want to know, hey, how do I get Lippert freight? How, how would they go about getting Lippert freight? Well, that's the thing. Uh, we like to run our plants and our product on our trucks as close as possible to our customers. So the majority of what we ship to our customers is is uh, on our trucks and local within proximity of the manufacturer. There's a few plants that are uh, spaced in a regional uh, setting to the customers that we actually, I have a couple of OTR drivers. My three road guys are uh, OTR sleeper trucks. Assets can be costly. I used to work at a brokerage, and we had an asset division, and we sold the asset division. How do you keep it running profitably, and why is that so much more important than using outside carriers? Why do you use your own fleet? So as a manufacturer, you have utter control when you use your own fleet. Nobody's looking to make money off of freight in manufacturing. We're looking to control it and make sure that it's uh, within our front. How are you? So, how do you go about like reducing costs, for example, uh, with your own trucks? It's it, it. You know, I can think of strategies. If it's someone else's fleet, you can go to different carriers and everything. Hey, I lost talking- you, Dooner. Oh, sure. Um, all right. Did we lose Tony? I lost you, Tony. Can we bring Tony back? There you the are. Logistics of sound. Hey, Tony. What's up, man? I was asking. Sorry. I was- I was trying to find out how, you, how you're keeping costs down over there, running your own fleet. So you can't just go out to the spark market. You're not just going out to other carriers. So a lot of what we try to do is make sure route planning is done efficiently and proactively. We try to return our dunnage and uh, 
anything that we can do to make that trip more efficient. We pair stuff together. We'll work with sales and our customers to move dates to where they line up better with each other. Wow. Wow. How'd you get so smart about that? Like, do you use any strategies? Do you read any books? I know you're really into, like, economics blogs and everything. Yeah. Well, experience and failing over and over and over again. <laughs> Tight markets. That's when you have to learn to uh, figure out how to not lose as much money because uh, we're a cost of operation instead of a profit center like sales. But, uh, you know, you can buy a machine and have an ROI. But when it comes to delivery, it's it's just the eye. Well, <laughs> What's the hardest lesson you've had to learn then? It's people. I mean, Brandon Bay says this all the time too, and I, I don't know if he stole it from me or if I stole it from him, but uh, the work is easy. The people are hard. You know, leadership is hard. And I work at a great place where we invest in our people and uh, I need it. I need all the help I can get because I'm just a guy that used to drive a truck that is now running the fleet. Wow. Hey, what kind of advice do you have for truck drivers out there who, um, you know, they're not liking the rates on the road or maybe they don't want to be away from family and maybe they want to get behind the desk? Well, <laughs> it's a, from my point of view, it was pride. I had to, I had to drop my pride and learn and take a pay cut and learn to do something I didn't want to do. I had to learn to be the guy I didn't like. And then I had to learn to apologize to that guy several times for what I thought he was doing that I didn't know he was really doing. Uh, once I did that and swallowed my pride, then it started being a little easier. And then once I lost my job and had to go learn how to do all that same stuff for somebody else in a different way, then I got pretty decent at it. And then, you know, throw 20 years in there. And you're all right. Well, hey, Tony, before I let you go, I got to send you to the Wheel of Stupid Questions, okay? See where it is, right. brother. Let's see where we, let's see where we got you this time. All right, here we go. Oh, all right. I get to pick my own here. All right, let's see. That's a mystery question. You know, I was watching a lot of Star Wars over the weekend. Here's one for you. Was the Empire right in Star Wars? Right of center or correct? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would love to have an empire. You would love to have. So you think that they were bringing order to the galaxy, and you know, maybe the rebels should have had a more open mind. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Luke Skywalker might not agree with you, but, uh, you know, Sith Lord may. Where do, hey, Tony, where do people go to learn more about you or Lippert? Uh, LCI1.com is where they can learn about anything Lippert-related. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Well, very cool. Thank you, Tony, for joining me. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Dooner. Bye-bye. All right, let's talk about Draytech. Let's talk about a brand new, well, relatively new. They're not brand new. But two very lovely young women have come here and they've built this awesome company. And I believe that they met at the port of Oakland. And we're going to find out this amazing founder story. And also we're going to learn about something that is like, uh, I, I think it's like port logistics as a service. So that's a new term for me. So I'm excited to bring them here. And they're with me right now. It's the founding team for Blue Cargo. Hello, ladies. Oh, we got them on mute. <laughs> There we go. Nice to see you. Hi, good to see you. Uh, who's on the far right over here? Would that be Alexandra or would that be Laura? Yeah, I'm, I'm Alexandra. I'm the CEO of Blue Cargo. Alexandra Griffin and Laura, introduce yourself. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm uh, Laura, co-founder of Alexandra, responsible for the product at Blue Cargo. Now... 
I'm not like a private investigator, but judging by your your accents and uh, at least one of the last names here, you sound very French. Uh, did are, are you over here from France? How how did you two meet? I mentioned that Port of Oakland thing. Absolutely, you were right. So we're both originally from France. Uh, we moved to Berkeley for our studies, and we met in college, and uh, that's when we started working at the Port of Oakland and uh, partnered with some companies like Navis working on the terminal operating system. And so we've stayed in the U.S. for the last uh, six, seven years and are now based in Los Angeles, Long Beach. Interesting. So when you first had, like you're in college, was this a serious conversation at first? You're at Port of Oakland. You're like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this at some point? Like how did this go from just like this little seed to starting to be watering and actually become a company? Yeah, at the beginning, it was really uh, just an interest in the project. We both studied like economics and geopolitics. So we were just like taking advantage of being so close to the port. And then it really felt like we were onto something. We were in the middle of this very untouched place by technology where there was so much to do. And being in the port, everything is very um, visual. Like you can see the box moving and you can see the terminals having to dig five boxes and reshuffle just to get the right box to the truck that's coming on. So that's really where we saw that there were inefficiencies that we could help bridging. And Laura's background is uh, in, data, in data science and I let you her... I let her explain a bit, but yeah, we saw that uh, technology and data science could bring something here. Yeah, Laura, so how did you step in here? How, how did you help solve this equation? Um, so like playing with a, a lot of data, um, seeing like millions of containers moving through the ports, and we understood that we can bring some predictability and analytics uh, to this industry. Well, interesting. So port logistics service software as a service, it's a relatively new term. Now, I remember one thing, a big issue with the port. And I had like Matt Schraff from Harbor, Harbor Truckers Association. We talked to so many of the ports in 2020 and 2021 when it was just a cargo nightmare and there was all that congestion. And one of the huge issues that they had was with the appointment technology at the ports. Um, how do you, how does, how does this service work? How does it integrate with this sort of, I don't know, antiquated technology of ports past? Absolutely. So basically, Blue Cargo connects to the 63 port terminal in the US. So we're able to see in real time, like, where is the container? And we provide uh, what we code for the first time, like, in port uh, data. So um, all the information from when the cargo arrives at the port, but then there's very different definitions of what's available for pickup. If you look at the steamship line, it tells you available for pickup when actually it could be in a yard closed area in the port. So that's actually something the trucker cannot get to. So giving like real insights into where the container actually is. And, you know, there's this thing in the logistics where you always know where the container is until it arrives at the port. And then you only know when it leaves the port, but there's like 12 days average in between. So we're really like providing information on that in-port um, data and insights and making sure we help the containers move as fast as possible in and out. Because the, the terminal is made uh, to be a place of fluidity, not a time, a place of dwelling. So that's really what Blue Cargo focuses on. And so the keys to that is connecting to all the terminals uh, in the country and, of course, unlocking the appointments.
Laura, what is the hardest part of solving this problem at the port? Um, this is a business, too, that we, we try to apply tech to often, but it's also like a very gritty real world with actual things moving, where sometimes the technology sounds great, but it doesn't always pair up. What problems do you have to solve to make that work? Definitely. Uh, I think what we are very good at Blue Cargo is to bring the real, real world in like the technology world uh, because like our background is also in terminal operations. So we know like from the inside how a terminal is working. Like we worked at uh, many terminals in the world. And so we understand like how to um, um, like how to like create with the technology the real world. Mm, very, very interesting. So who are your users? Like what's the user experience when you go to Blue Cargo? What, what, what am I doing? Yeah, so there's uh, three different pieces. Like our users range from dry trucking companies and then to like logistics providers and then ultimately like shippers and importers. So they have a bit of a different experience. Like for the trucker, we're really like a dispatching and scheduling system. So we're like the, their interface to external providers like terminals and steamship lines. So you come to Blue Cargo and you can find out in one second, for example, which terminals among uh, one of the ports. So let's say LA Long Beach, for example, that has like 12 ports. If I have an empty that is MSC 20 standard, where can I return it and when? And you can find out that answer in one second instead of browsing 12 different uh, websites and then searching in on those websites for a while. So that's um, an example for the dry trucking companies. Then logistics providers, we help them share information with their customers. So basically through Blue Cargo, they can create automated reports um, that they can share with the customer to show that they're on top of monitoring the containers. And when you're the final uh, customer, so the importer, for example, Blue Cargo gives you a real-time dashboarding on what is your current exposure to demerge and per diem and detention, and how can you start uh, mitigating that risk. So should you take um, a different uh, decision, like move the container from storage place number one to storage place number two because it's costing you too much in per diem? Should you accrue some expenses for your finance team because you have half a million of per diem exposure risk. And as we know, the bills are going to come six months down the road when uh, you get the bill forwarded by uh, someone else who's forwarding it to you from the steamship line. So really um, a tool to pilot uh, your cost and make better operational decisions based on your exposure to that cost. Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, about a week or so ago, you announced that you raised a funding round of what I believe to be $11 million. That's a decent chunk of change for a seed. What is your plan with the money? Yeah, so our plan, yeah, we're super happy to, to announce that. So total funding of the of the company with that uh, sums up to 15 million. Our goal is to invest in our core technology, so really get deeper in our integration across all the ports in North America, so US and now building uh, Canada and uh, Mexico, and be able to hire top talents um, from different either logistics or tech companies. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the goal. Interesting. Laura, what are you most excited about this year? 
Um, so opening the other port in the US, uh, helping uh, uh, drainage carriers uh, outside of Los Angeles language. Um, there are a lot of problems and demurrage in the other port in the US, and uh, Blue Cargo can really help a lot of people. Interesting. I'm most excited about um, Breath of the Wild 2. Just to let you <laughs> ladies know. All right, before I let you go, before I let you go, we're going to have play a little bit of trivia right here. A little bit of trivia. You, you ladies ready? Just raise your hand. Whichever one raises you their hand first, we'll get to pick first. Okay? Got it. Okay. Right here. In November 2020, SpaceX launched four astronauts and a toy of what Star Wars character to the International Space Station? <laughs> 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 it's a Star Wars toy. Just guess a random character. Yoda. It's Grogu. It was Baby Yoda. It was Baby Yoda. That's okay. Though. Hey, people want to learn more about Blue Cargo. Where can they go to find out? Absolutely. So bluecargo.io uh, is our website. Uh, you'll find a description of the company, where to contact us, and uh, an explanation of what we do, both for drive carriers, logistics providers, and shippers. Very, very cool. Well, hey, congratulations. Congratulations on the seed rounds. And I, speaking to so many drape providers, I think that this is a service that they will be excited about. You're, you're, caught, you're curing a lot of headaches. Thank you so much. Thank yes, we were very fortunate you. for our early customers. Thank you. Take care. care. Goodbye. All right. Well, hey, good luck to them. Tough, tough, tough to automate those ports. Tough to do that as a service, but it, it damn near needs it. So I hope they can get that done. All right, before we go, hey, let's do some feel-good stuff. We got anything good here? How about this one? Let's take a look at this guy driving on the road. Footnote three. For a full list of SCP-6072 manifestations throughout history, yeah. access to there we go. <laughs> Threw the arm out, and he got Put the no horn three. back. Uh, you know, anytime you got a video of those, send them to me. Love to, love to. You got to keep that tradition alive out here, people. Got to keep that tradition. One more thing to show you, and then I'm going to send you guys home. So we got a bunch of dozers versus a ship. I'm not even sure what port this is. Let's analyze this video. I just saw this one online. If you look here, there's a do there's a big ship that's coming into port, and there's a dozer that pulls in front to stop it, and another dozer that pulls in front of that dozer to what appears to be make it stop against the wall. Now, how crazy would you have to be to ride in one of those bulldozers? However, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to do a little uh, viral video CSI. If you look at these things, look at the people walking. Don't look at the bulldozer. Don't look at the ship. Look at the people walking. This is a video that is filmed in reverse. Those dozers are not stopping that ship at all. In fact, those dozers are pushing that ship back out to the water. Careful what you see, people. All right, keyboard cat, I'm not sure what time it is, but play me out. I'll tell you guys what is on the next show. Wednesday, coming up on the show, we got Project 44's Bart DeMonk. Play me out, keyboard cat. Wednesday on the show, we got Project 44's Bart DeMonk, Tompkins Robotics, Michael Carmody, Freightways' Rachel Bremack, and back the truck up, Super Trucker. Join us at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Hey, if you missed any of this show, you can catch it whenever you want at your leisure on demand. Just look up What the Truck wherever you get your podcast um, on your favorite podcast player. Or go to YouTube, man. Subscribe to the show over on YouTube. Where else we got this thing? Download the Freightways TV app. You can watch the Stunning HD. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Don't be a stranger. And take care.